it's your boy, and welcome to episode 81 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also, video podcast out now on YouTube. You can check it out on our website at thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. Check out the latest episode. You'll see the video posted there. You can watch it on our website or click through and subscribe on our YouTube channel. And if you are watching the video, your response uh, to seeing me might be what my brother's was earlier today when I FaceTimed him, which is, hey man, what's wrong with you? You don't look great. Well, uh, I don't feel great. I went camping with my girlfriend last night, and maybe I'm just getting too old, but uh, when I go camping, every time we've gone camping for the last half dozen times or so, I never sleep well. I'm always cold, sore, uh, you know, the pillow's not right. It's just a fucking nightmare. And uh, I always toss and turn for about five hours, and then usually about two or three hours before I actually get up, I have some semblance of sleep, but woke up, you know, about, even when I did fall asleep, I probably woke up like 12 times throughout the night, just feeling awful. It was cold. I was uncomfortable. Uh, the pillow was not giving me any support and, um, could not find a comfortable position tossing and turning. And I also had this terrible headache and maybe it was just being dehydrated, being out in the sun all day, not drinking enough water. And, um, you know, camping's all good except for, you know, the, uh, six or eight hours that you spend tossing and turning in, um, in the tent at night. But, uh, woke up, felt just crappy, was eager to get out of there, eager to pack things up and get out of there. And, uh, drove uh, two and a half back hours to the Bay Area where we live. So, um, if I look awful, it's it's that. I'm exhausted. Also, this is the end of my spring break. And you know the, you know what they say about the best laid plans of mice and men, don't you? They often wander aftly aglay or, <laughs> or something like that. But, um, you know, I told myself going into this break, I was going to... I mean, I have, a, um, I have a sign language assignment that I did complete. I told myself I was going to chip away at it um, so that, um, I basically have to memorize a story in sign language. And I told myself I was going to do it on this episode, but I'm not, I'm going to do it on the next episode. Um, so if you haven't seen the video podcast, you'll have to tune in for that. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a story in Amer- in American sign language in ASL that I will sign on the podcast. I'm not going to tell you what the story is. I'm going to see if people can discern it for themselves, but, um, I'm going to do that on the podcast next week. Um, but I did learn that over the break, which was great. I just sort of broke it into chunks. And I told myself I was going to do a little bit each day, but I didn't. I skipped a day here and there, and so I had to double down on some days. Uh, the other thing is I'm taking calculus right, right now, which fucking sucks. And uh, we have a test coming up next week. But I told myself, since I have a week off, I'm going to review all of this most recent chapter just a little bit each day. And by the time I come back from spring break and I'm back in the swing of things, I'm going to be all caught up and things are going to be peachy keen. And of course, I didn't do any of that and uh, just had an assignment due uh, today. Strangely, right? At, at the end of spring break, I had a homework assignment due, um, but looked at it, didn't understand a fucking any of it. 
I was able to piece it together because it's homework and you have the book and, um, you know, there are calculators online where you can kind of um, uh, see how to solve things. But I don't understand the material. And that's how I feel with calculus right now. I, you know, by the time the test comes around and I got 100% on the last test and I still don't understand the material. You know, I know how to locate an answer, but I don't actually understand the answer I'm giving. So um, this semester is just, this last semester of school here is just fucking challenging. Um, I feel like I have senioritis, even though I'm not a senior. I mean, I'm finishing my sophomore year, right, at college, but um, I'm transferring to AUC next semester. And uh, oh, it's just hard. You know, calculus sucks. I hope this is the last math class I ever have to take. My psych teacher is a big pain in the ass. And, um, you know, I just feel, ugh. You know, I feel like uh, last week I was gloating about how good life is. And it is, right? Life is good. Even in the midst of sort of the, uh, I don't know, is maudlin the word? What is Just the, the, the sort of humdrum, mediocre, mediocrity of everyday life, right? Just the, the general, I don't know, malaise of our general responsibilities. Life is pretty good, but, um, you know, I just feel, <laughs> I don't want to do it. You know, in some ways I, you know, I, I know that I'm a completely different person than who I was when I was, you know, languishing in my, my early career as a student through junior college and not doing the work and sleeping through class and all that stuff. But there's such a big, I don't want to component component that I carry with me through a lot of things in life. And I guess I thought it would magically disappear when I was an adult, but it hasn't, you know, it's like when I first sit down to look at calculus homework and it's like, um, um, find the implicit, uh, differential, uh, but the, I'm just like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna. Or in my psych class, it's like, oh, we have a group assignment. It's like, I don't wanna. ASL. Actually, I mean, I'm more keen on ASL than any of my classes this semester. But even then, right? It's still school. It's only so much fun. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't want to grow up. I just want to be a Toys R Us kid my whole life, you know? (sighs) It may sound unrelated, but um, I was in therapy. I was talking about, you know, how I enjoy spending my time. And uh, there are things about me that just haven't changed over the course of my life. You know, I, I may have mentioned that I've been listening to a lot of the music of Bela Bartok. And, um, you know, one of the most fun things that I do is I just like find a composer that I, you know, I, I know a lot of Bartok's music, but I, I haven't done any, I haven't like listened to his music comprehensively, right? There's maybe like half a dozen, ass- uh, um, I was going to say assignments. <laughs> maybe that's a Freudian slip. Half a dozen compositions that I know pretty well, like his string quartets, I know pretty well. He has a... Um, a piece for solo piano called The Out of Doors Suite, which I know pretty well. Um, uh, Some other pieces for piano or whatnot. Um, And even some of his orchestral music. But, um, you know, nothing comprehensive. But, uh, you know, in the same way, I I spent a year listening to Beethoven. I spent a year listening to Brahms. I was supposed to spend a year listening to Bach. But I've spent most of the last year and a half just kind of doing dives on just various interests. You know, I spent a lot of that... Um, the first few months of the, of 2020, listening to jazz music, Arvo Pert, um, uh, you know, other crap, but, um, last couple months I've been listening to a lot of bar talk and I just, uh, I created this curriculum. It was probably like, mm, I was going to say two dozen, but probably even more compositions, about 13 and a half hours worth of music. I realized 
Um, but I just finished that list today. Anyway, I think the point of all this is just to say that um, one of my favorite things to do is just like sit down with the score and like listen to new music. And um, why is this coming up? Oh, I think I'm talking about this I don't wanna component. There's so much in my life where I just go like, oh, I don't wanna. Where I feel like a kid. And I think, uh, you know, in an ideal world, you would find a way to make money just doing how you, doing what you really enjoy doing. Like, how do you really enjoy spending your time? Well, find a way to make money doing that. If anyone has any idea how to make money just listening to music, let me know. And I'm not talking about like being a CD reviewer, because then you have to sort of synthesize your thoughts. And um, in fact, there's nothing, there's nothing I loathe more than the people who write about music or try to write in, a, in, in sort of a distinguished way about music. I mean, I think I mentioned this briefly, but there's nothing worse than the YouTube comment section of like classical music videos. Because you have so many people who just sound like a bunch of I don't know. I thought of the world <laughs> so immature. I thought of, I, I've thought of people as dildos a lot recently. I just thought, oh, that dude's a dildo, or that person's a dildo. I don't know what it means exactly, except that's that's how I've been thinking of things. But um, so many dudes, like especially white dudes, just seem like a bunch of dildos when they write about classical music in the comment section of YouTube. Where they just write about, oh, what a redoubtable performance, what a resplendent reading of this. It's like, shut the fuck up, man. Like nobody talks this way. It's uh, it it's it it's like the epitome of people who are just aspiring to be this thing, this archetypal classical music writer. It's this it's the stuffiest, most oh, just it's it's awful. I hate it. Saccharine and just it's just a bunch of bullshit. One of the most noxious things about it. Um, So I definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> I definitely don't want to write about classical music. Um, but uh, that's how I enjoy spending my time. You know? When we went camping, the place we went camping at was this dude has some land out in... Um, I don't even know the general area. I've never been out that way. But it, it, it's a couple... You drive two and a half hours outside of the Bay Area, like going northeast. Like out past Stockton, if you want to look at a map of California. And... um and you're just like in the middle of nowhere. Just you, you like you drive through like small towns in the middle of nowhere to get to this area where it's just like land. Um, I think it's like the Malukni River or some bullshit like that. You're gonna have to Google it. I don't Maconley River, something like that. I don't know. But um, there's like nothing out there. There's like small towns in the middle of nowhere and a lot of farmland and a lot of you know. It's it's just a, a, a lot of nothing. And as you drive out there, you think you know you live in the Bay Area, which is like a happening part of the country supposedly, you know, and there's a lot going on. But if you drive 40 minutes outside of there, you just kind of hit nothing. And as someone who's, I mean, I've driven up and down the coast umpteen times, I've driven around the country, I've spent a lot of time in my car just driving places. And when you drive around, you see that most of the country is nothing. And most of the people in this country live in the middle of nowhere. You know, uh, this is what America is. We forget about it because a lot of the hoity-toity leftist people who kind of live in the urban areas, they think they're the center of the world, right? But most of the country is out in the middle of nowhere or um, in the comparative middle of nowhere, pretty much. And it's just a completely different way of life, you know? And uh, what the fuck am I talking about? Um, 
spending my time. I don't know. I think I was about to say <laughs> being out on this guy's property in the middle of nowhere. First of all, just as 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 you get older and you if you want to buy property and you happen to live in the Bay Area, you think I got to get the fuck out of here because unless I want to live in a mop closet uh for um you know, in the Bay Area you can buy a mop closet for about $300,000 and that's about it. Right? You can buy you, you can buy a plot of land you know, you can buy 3,000 square feet of land for $300,000 in the Bay Area, and then you, get to, then, then you get to build on it. Then you get to build a $1.5 million home on top of that land. Um, but uh, you cannot buy shit for shit. You know, it's, uh, it's absolutely insane. So there's a part of me that, like, I've, I've spent some time on Zillow just, like, looking around at different parts of the country or even parts of California just trying to trying to think where can your money possibly go. But uh, this place that we camped at, this dude just have a, has a huge hunk of land out near the McColney River or whatever the fuck it is. And uh, it just has these various plots on it, which he, he built like tiny structures on where people can camp out at. And uh, he has a home, he said, in Folsom, which is, you know, kind of where Folsom Prison is, where Johnny Cash recorded his record. But uh, he spends one, one night a week out here in this yurt, on this property, right? Which is where we camp. We camp right outside of his yurt. But uh, otherwise, he just has these like little pockets of land that are sort of flat. And uh, he just built these campsites on it for people to just sort of rent out and sleep on. And um, there's a part of me that as I'm out there, you know, of course, it's remote. Of course, there's no power out there. He had like a little wind. I don't know if you call it a turbine or whatever. He had something that generated. Uh, he has some solar panels and some wind thing that generated power for his yurt. Um, but there's a part of me that just thinks like for the money, you might as well just live like this, (laughs) you know, especially in a pandemic where nobody's doing shit. It's like, you know, could, how do you want to live your life? I mean, do you really need to be by, um, you know, as you're driving out there, you know, when you drive through the middle of nowhere in all these parts of the country, you just find these little centers of commerce, you know, it's all, it's, and it's all the same shit. There's like a Walmart, there's a Burger King, there's Starbucks. Uh, there are these strip malls and these uh, commerce complexes. Um, you know, there may have been some houses and then commercially these corporations just, you know, it's like they just draw these concentric circles around the country and say every X miles or so, uh, we need to uh, build this epicenter. And then like commerce builds up around it. It's like, oh, hey, while you're at the Walmart, here's Starbucks, here's Burger King, here's Arby's, um, here's Subway. Uh, here's all these other, uh, here's an auto zone, here's an ACE hardware. And it's just like, you have the same go-to shit no matter where in the country you live. Um, but you just think like, do you really want, is, is that really what you want your life to be? You know, wouldn't it just be great to like have some land out in the middle of nowhere? And I was going to, I stopped myself from saying be alone, <laughs> just have some land out in the middle of nowhere and like be alone. I mean, shit, as I was even, you know, we were camping out and I was looking at this guy's year, we, we couldn't see inside of it, but I could see that he had power generated to it. And I, and I, and I actually thought, you know, if you could just get your power set up and maybe a decent Wi-Fi connection, like if you could get some decent Wi-Fi in that year, I could totally live like that, right? Like, you know, Amazon would still deliver to you, right? And you could still get, if you wanted to get your music scores delivered, you could get them. If you wanted to get CDs delivered, you could get them. Um, whatever it is, whatever you wanted, uh, you know, there's a company that could find its way to get those things to you and you could just chill out here and like listen to music, 
you know? It's such an, maybe, dude, maybe that's like the archetypal American thing, which is like, I dream about my retirement before earning it. You know, like, I want to live a retired life now without actually having, like, worked a career to, like, retire from. You know? It's like, I have friends, and I'm sure you have some too. There's this whole thing about people who just want to, like, live in their van. You know? It's usually some, like, it's like you're, it's some hippie couple, and uh, they, like, buy a van, and they, like, convert it into a living space. And then, like, they just announce on Facebook that they're going to live in their car, and they do that. And, uh... <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds like misery to me. Um, it's a type of thing that people, th- oh, look, here, here's, there's a lot of assumptions here, I guess, and a lot of judgments, but, um, and I, I guess I'm applying this principle even to my thought of like living in the yurt, just listening to bar talk for the rest of my life. But, um, it's the type of thing that when people think about it, and I know we talked about this in terms of something else, maybe shooting or running or training or something, but I, people, I think a lot of times people look at their life and they picture it like the, the Rocky training montage, you know, or I think I was talking with my brother about this and I think he was underwhelmed by this thought, but I actually believe that that it's true. I think, I do think many people make huge life decisions, um, and maybe not even life decisions. They just invest a lot of time and finances into things that really culminate in a social media post, you know? Like, uh, let's take a super expensive trip to X, and I think the value or the trophy from that is just the content that it generates that they get to share on social media, you know? Like, I think people get into baking because they want to take photos of the things that they bake and share them to social media, you know? Um... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I I think I was building this. I don't know. I thought I was building some kind of profound point, but that's really it. That's all really all I have to say about that. I think people get into things because, and, and at the end of all those efforts is just good social media posts or, or social media identity. Like that's who they get to be, you know? Yeah, says the guy who's going to be uh, posting this conversation on the social media as soon as it's done recording. So there's the pot calling the kettle black, I guess. But yeah, what's that? Something about retiring before I've actually had a career to retire from? I don't know. Isn't that what life is, though? I mean,. Jeez, I feel like my brother's going to be the co-star of this episode. But we were just on the phone, um, and uh, he bought a home. He's spending a lot of time sort of uh, getting it set up, getting it situated, doing some planting, doing some repainting, redoing the cabinets. I mean, just doing all the all of the things that uh, new homeowners do to make their place their own, right? And you know, he said this. He said this thing, and I don't remember how he came to it exactly. But especially as you become an adult, I think we all have this moment where we realize at every turn and every aspect of our life, we are being combed to become a consumer of sorts. You know, every chapter you enter into your life, uh, the person that you are sort of conditioned to be in this world, to be a functioning member of society is a consumer. You know, if you're a homeowner, you enter the homeowner consumerist chapter of your life 
where you spend your expendable income on things for your home, right? Well, first of all, you bought you bought the home, right? So you've made this huge investment to uh, re- real estate with a capital R E, right? You've bought a home. Uh, you're now a homeowner. You're now paying homeowners tax or property insurance or whatever the fuck you're paying, and uh, you know you're investing in that home. You're buying paint. You're buying uh, plumbing. You're bu- <laughs> you know you're buying. Uh, uh, landscaping materials or whatever the hell it is, right? Um, and it's like no matter what chapter of your life you're in, you are that type of consumer. You know, as a student, you're buying all your school supplies and you're buying your ramen or whatever the fuck it is. You're you're at Ikea furnishing your dorm or your first apartment that you're living with other people. Like, you're, you're furnishing that. And, um, oh, man... Where am I going with all this? I don't know. Something about, uh, I think on some ways I'm trying to get back to this idea of like, why not just live? Ah, all right. Here's, <laughs> here's the real macro criticism. We're doing it wrong. As silly as it is, uh, on the one hand, I'm sort of being self-deprecating saying, isn't it silly that I want to retire from a career without having a career? But on another level, like on, on a Jedi level, like that's actually like the goal, right? That should be the goal of life. The, the, goal, the goal of life actually if that even makes sense, is to enjoy it. Now, you could probably even critique that, but it's the goal of our place in the cosmos. Dude, I'm getting so, I sound so stoned right now, right? Like your boy is, your boy is Shruman. Your boy is a coin, uh, a coin. Oh, man. All right. Uh, your boy is a stoned college student just uh, yapping at you like he has a secret to the universe when he's basically just telling you like hashed over shit you've already thought of yourself. But, um... You know, the purpose of life is definitely not to just, like, have a degree and, like, join the workforce and become a worker bee for X number of years until you've saved enough money um, where you can retire and get a pension and then, like, play golf, you know, or whatever retired people do. Like, retired people, then they start living their life and enjoy it, but they're, like, not even comfortable in their bodies anymore. Like, dude, your boy's 35 and, like, camping sucks. Like, I'm, ju- I'm already starting to feel like, dude, I think I just, like, need a bed for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, like, you know, my body's not, you know, b- really built for this, you know? I couldn't imagine, like, people who turn, like, 65, 70 and just say, I'm just going to travel the world. It's like, don't you need 12 hours of sleep a night? Because that's where I feel like I'm at. Like, I'm at the point where I can't get enough sleep. I just can't. If I get less than eight hours, I'm fucking depleted. Right. And anytime I get a break where I don't have to wake up, I'll sleep for 12 hours. Um, so, yeah, there's a part of me where I feel like childish that I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, but I think maybe the real Jedi perspective is, is like that's your body telling you on some level that a lot of the shit that we ask ourselves to do that we try to uh I don't know, talk ourselves up into, right? It's a lot of fucking bullshit. For some reason, this is not going to make sense, but for some reason, <laughs> I've been watching, um, I've been watching a lot of like cooking videos on YouTube and not what you think, uh, things I've actually seen before. And so I don't know why I had seen so much of this at one time in my life, but I've stumbled back on these videos of like, um, Marco, is it Marco Pierre White, the the uh, the British chef who was like Gordon Ramsay's mentor? Gordon Ramsay is his uh, protege, pretty much. 
And, um, you know, he's a three Michelin star chef um, who sort of, after he earned his stars and sort of came up and he was this huge international, you know, he's sort of an enfant terrible <laughs> whatever, uh, of, uh, of the cooking world. You know, after some time of that, he sort of gave his Michelin stars back to the extent that he can, right? He sort of just sort of recused himself from that whole uh, system of cooking and uh, just sort of, I don't know, started on a different course, I guess. Um, but I've uh, it reminded me of a documentary I saw years ago, and I think, I think it's called Three Stars, but it just documents like Michelin star cooking or people, chefs who aspire to succeed in that um you know, that system of dining and just the insane, um, working conditions and work ethic and hard work that goes into, uh, finding success in that area. And when you watch it, it's sort of an interesting micro, like this was probably like, I probably saw this documentary. I want to say like 10 years ago. Um, Meaning, at least when I first feel like I processed this documentary, it was before, you know, all of the talk around, like, <laughs> um, let's just say there was a different work ethic, but there was a different understanding of the power dynamic between boss and employee, right? Like, 99% of the stuff that you see going on in the kitchen of a Michelin star restaurant would be, like, front page, like, fodder for... Um, like tyrannical uh, bosses, right? Like this would be, it it just, it just, it seems completely antithetical to everything that we pretend or say that we value in our current conversations around uh, power and all sorts of stuff. So um, don't think I'm poo-pooing that just yet because my, my larger point is, is actually uh, in favor of that stuff because as you watch it, you know, you see, kitchens, which are usually run by uh, white males who are uh, monomaniacally focused on success, right? And not to diminish, you know, cooking is very challenging, right? There's very few people who can do it um, on a certain level, right? Michelin star, two Michelin star, three Michelin star level. It's not just good cooking, it's presentation, it's it's, it's a whole constellation of things that have to come together at a very, very high level, um, which uh, most people just don't have the fortitude for, right? Um, And the finances and all that sort of stuff. Um, But it's usually like a tyrannical leader of a kitchen who basically berates people and treats them like dog shit. And, um, uh, you know, the people who succeed, uh, you know, are able to absorb that kind of treatment. And, I guess, use it to better themselves. I mean, it's sort of like joining the army, right? Like you have a crazy drill sergeant, like think Full Metal Jacket, where you have a crazy drill sergeant, either Marco Pierre White or Gordon Ramsay or whatever, who's the head of your kitchen, who just treats you like Gilmer Pyle, (laughs) who just treats you like one of the fucking people in Full Metal Jacket just yells and screams at you and tells you he's going to skull fuck you if you, uh, uh, undercook his beans (laughs) again, if the white beans are still undercooked, um, you know, and, uh, it's, uh, it's crazy. And it's just funny because as you see these chefs profiled, whether it's in this documentary, three stars or some of these videos I've been seeing, um, if you want to see something specific, see if you can locate the documentary three stars, but there's also a video on YouTube. It's a documentary called boiling point. It looks like the BBC or somebody did it on Gordon Ramsay as he's, sort of coming up in the ranks, but 
Um, but the funny part is, is, you know, the public and even the people who are creating this documentary have a pretty good objective perspective on who Gordon Ramsay is, which he's, he's, you know, I don't want to take anything away from the guy's talent, but in the context of being like the head of a kitchen, he's a fucking asshole. Right. And that's sort of his brand identity. Right. He sort of spun that off into like Kitchen Nightmares or Hell's Kitchen or whatever those fucking shows are. Um, But even that's a little performative. I mean, this is who this person is when there are no cameras around, you know, yelling and screaming at people and making them feel like shit. And you even have people who work in the kitchen who profess like this is the way it is. And like this is what makes you stronger. And the reason he treats you like shit is because he cares. Um, But it's really it, it. I mean, really. You know, now that I'm older, I look at it and I say, oh, he's just a bully. You know, here's someone who's obsessed with celebrity, who's obsessed with, you know, success at all costs. And it really is, hmm. All right, let me see if I can sort of hone in on my point here, which is, in some ways it goes back to what I've talked about at other times in terms of success, whether it's creative success or, um, I think I was talking about, it seems to be the case in creative, in many creative pursuits that, what it takes to be successful is you have to be sufficiently wounded or stunted in very specific ways so that you're able to focus on your success to the exclusion of all other things and usually very important things that other people feel sidetracked by or feel are a hindrance and they would probably uh, cut off of themselves that they were at if they had the capacity to do it. But because they're actually pretty well-formed human beings. They're just unable to do that. Some people, either because that was underdeveloped or because they value money and success to the exclusion of those things, they're able to sort of cut off certain emotional components of themselves so they can just focus on being successful. And sometimes when you see into the kitchens of celebrity chefs, that's exactly who they are. They're sort of monster human beings. Like, there's a line in As Good As It Gets where, um, I forget the actress's name, I have a huge crush on her, but she plays opposite Jack Nicholson. Um, but she says, you're a horror show of a human being. And I thought, that's such an apt description for so many people. But like, in this context, in the kitchen, like Gordon, Gordon Ramsay and sometimes Marco Pierre White to his people, and that's, by the way, that's who Gordon Ramsay learned it from, is a horror show of a human being to the people around them because they're trying to be successful. And anybody who is not contributing to their success is like a subpar human being. And um, and people who are successful in that vein or in that venue or through that practice would look at people like myself who are being remonstrative or being critical of them, and to their mind, they're stupid you know, or that's why they're failures, right? Because they don't care as much as I do. They're not going to work as hard as I do. They're not going to do what it takes to be successful. And in a way, that's true. I mean, you know, in some ways, uh, comparing Trump to Hitler was like the sort of uh, hyperbolic uh, comparison, one of the most hyperbolic comparisons of all time. And yet there's something about Trump and that Trump perspective that is going to become its own archetype, which is, like Trump, who's a liar and a cheater and uh, believes in success at all costs, like that's his mentality. Like that is that is the that is the heart of Trumpism, right? Is 
being a liar, fake it till you make it. Who cares what the truth is as long as people believe you're a success? And who cares if other parts of your life go to shit, if your kids hate you or if your family's falling apart? As long as other people, and sometimes even a, a very specific lane of people, perceive you as a success, that is what really matters. And um, so, yeah, it's weird. It, you're in a weird position and you feel kind of like you're undefended because. On the one hand, you have these deep convictions and criticisms about somebody who you believe is behaving monstrously, and yet they're succeeding objectively on a level financially in terms of their celebrity, in terms of their clout and power and whatever it is, that it's it, it, you almost feel like you can't argue with it, right? And even though you can never see yourself doing it, there is a part of you that says, man, if I just had a little bit of that, if I could just care a little bit less about what other people think about me, if I could just care a little bit less about how I feel or whether or not I'm happy. Because you look at someone like Gordon Ramsay in this position, and even though you know that something is being fed in them, their ego, um, certainly their, their savings account or their checking account or whatever it is, their pockets are being fed, their ego is getting fed, you can't spend 18 hours a day in a kitchen yelling at people and, and feel fulfilled. You know, just imagine, like, I hate driving now because I just yell and scream at everybody. You know, I say and think and yell things at people from my vehicle, not so they, they can hear me, but I mean, the same way we all do, right? I yell at people or toward people or whatever it is, things that I would never say to their face. Now, you have someone like Gordon Ramsay or Mark, Marco Pierre White or um, all these other chefs that they just grab people by the collar and yell at them. And it's like, that can't feel good right? Like your health has to deteriorate at some point, you know, that anger has to go somewhere. And, um, what am I saying? Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I'm trying to make a loose connection that that is what a lot of our lives are. You know, so much of our lives for many of us is like a living, like working at a company where we don't actually care about the objective of what's being done there. You know, like you may somehow like you went to school and you studied advertising or you like graphic design, you know, but if you become a graphic designer for like Heinz tomato ketchup company and you spend your career like designing Heinz product labels and stuff, you don't really care. You know, you you can't really care because that's not, I don't know, that's not a... um Again, I don't want to sound too hippy-dippy about it, but that's not like a meaningful thing. It's it, like To me, it just feels like intrinsically not meaningful. You know, like being a graphic designer for a McDonald's. Sure, I'm sure you like designing and there's something about the process itself that you enjoy. Um, but the end product is just not an intrinsically fulfilling or meaningful thing. You know, you're creating brand materials for an organization that's selling like poisonous food to people, you know, things that are fundamentally bad for them. I mean, I never read David Foster Wallace's unfinished novel, The Pale King, but it's all about people who work in like a tax office, you know, and I've gathered that a fundamental component or one of the themes of that is just like the drudgery of our lives, of so many of our lives. We just spend our lives working, doing nothing. And we try to tell ourselves that it's meaningful because, hey, hard work is meaningful. Making money is meaningful. Hey, it bought me this house. I can raise a family. I can have kids. I, 
you know, the, the work sucks, but it gives me the opportunity or affords me the oppor- opportunity to do other things that are valuable to me. And that's literally true, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's undeniable. Yes. You know, there is something fulfilling and worthwhile about working to make money to do things that you do enjoy, but Don't we want, tra- I mean, I think this is so unfulfilling. It's something I've said in therapy and I, 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 I feel crazy saying it, but I think as I get older, the thing I long for more than anything is like transcendence, you know, like I, there's a part of me that just wants to transcend the world as it exists, you know, what other people want for me, what I feel like I should want for myself, um, most of even our conversations around the world, the way it exists and what social changes we want to see happen. Like so much of my life, I just crave transcendence. I just want to transcend all of it. And I think that's why it's, it's weird. But as I, as I get older and I think about where I want to live and how I want to spend my time, I think about seclusion (laughs) a lot. You know, there's a part of me that You know, there's two minds when it comes to like current events. Like some people love reading up on the news and they think that that is like very important, right? Like knowing what's going on in politics and following politics and following current events is like, that's how you raise your consciousness. That's how you, I don't know, like people who, you know, they think people who disengage from those things are like sheeple, excuse me, like willfully dumb and blind and like, you know. But I feel like so much of the world, I, I, to me, there's a level which that is just kind of its own sickness because it just is the case that there's so many things going on in the world that you just don't have the power to fix. And I understood if we all took that mindset, yeah, nothing would change. But I, but I also mean very practically. I mean, there's so many things that we are fed and we read about and we digest and where the news cycle convinces us it's, is important that we just don't have any power to change. And I also think a lot of people who want that for me as well is like, oh yeah, you got to read the newspaper. Every day I wake up and I read two news- newspapers, cover to cover. And it's like, that's its own kind of consumerism. Like, I think some of that standard is like the 24 hour news cycle. It, 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 like, I, I feel like, I don't know. Again, maybe this is just sort of uh, caters to my, um, um, maybe this is my own blind spot, but I, I do feel like there's there's something healthy about like disengaging from things that we just don't have the power to change. And I think sometimes our, our news obsessed world actually feeds some of that, you know, I think feeds, um, I was going to stop myself from saying it, but even some of the violence, you know, I think a big component, um, even for some of these mass shootings that we have, is because they're covered. And I honestly, I, well, it's really because the news is so inundated, they just don't have the fucking time. But I think they've tried to wise up to, like, not making celebrities of the perpetrators because... And yet, there's something about, in a world where f- attention is the highest form of currency that we have these days, even if it's just for 24 hours, like, making a dent in that news cycle... Um, I think people find meaning in that. It's the it's it's a way that people feel that they have influence or that they can make an impact or that their lives matter, even if it's for something monstrous. Um, 
I mean, people talk about it like a like that that sort of Henry David Thoreau on Walden Pond sort of like living in a shack, like on the you know on the banks of a river and like just reconnecting with wilderness. It's not that that I'm romanticizing as much as just like disconnecting from I don't know everything from politics <laughs> from from all of it, you know. Anyway, it sounds depressing to say it. I don't I don't I don't mean it that way. I don't even know that I experienced it that way, but um anyway, just some of the things I've I've been thinking about, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, now I'm thinking about shooting. Um I was so stoked last week. I I've I've said I've sort of I I've told myself I'm going to start working through this uh marksmanship qualification program and uh the first level is actually um uh i think it's so bizarre the first level is pro marksman and then the second level is marksman that doesn't seem right does it shouldn't it be marksman and then pro marksman it's not the first level is pro marksman which i skipped because it actually is very easy and then i did marksman so i completed that my first attempt i failed because i overshot it i tried to make it too difficult Second time I went out and I fucking crushed it. I absolutely destroyed it. And I was really thinking at the end, of it, I was like, wow, you know what? You're really, you're really getting, it, it's really coming together finally. Like these fundamentals, you've been practicing a lot. It's going really good. Then I went to my normal routine the next time I was at the range where I just shot at normal targets again. And I thought you're going to be vastly improved, right? Like you're just going to fucking crush it. And it was fucking awful. I mean, really, really, really bad. Like confusingly bad. Like maybe one of the worst shooting days I've had since I even started, you know, you would think I was starting all over again. And I was just like, isn't that how life goes? You think you got it figured out. You're thinking, you think you're making all this progress and then you go back out there and you just have a fucking shit day. Really bizarre. And that's kind of disappointing. It's weird that this new thing has the power to influence my mood, but it was like two weeks ago when I had a bad shooting day. I felt it. It really like kind of fucked up my weekend and even kind of bled into the next week. I'm not saying that's exactly what's going on here, but you know, we'll see. Let's check in with me next week. I do think it's, uh, it's rippled. It's, it's rippling through my mood a little bit. Excuse me. Wow. Well, I don't know. I'm looking at the time here. We were maybe 45 minutes to be gone for, but I told myself I almost didn't record this episode. <laughs> I didn't feel well. Um, I felt the crunch of doing some schoolwork, and, um, you know, I told myself that I, if I really felt like I didn't want to do it, I was going to give myself permission not to do the podcast today and get to it at some point in the week. And I thought, I know we did that a couple weeks ago, and that was exceptional. You know, there was one time a couple of weeks ago where I, I think I put up an episode on a Wednesday instead of on a Monday. And I thought, well, out of 100 episodes, 99 is not that bad, right? Like if it was a test and every question was worth one point, 99 out of 100 is not bad. It's still an A+. And then I told myself, well, 90, 98 out of 100 is not bad either. But uh, I was also saying, you know, pushing yourself 
or forcing yourself to do something, which is kind of what I'm doing here, is not the end of the world either. Um, sometimes the success, and even a way to save your mood sometimes is just to, even if you're just walking through it, is to just put something up, even if you know it's not going to be great. Although sometimes, like shooting, sometimes even like you, when you sit down and do a podcast, you think, man, I got a lot of shit lined up. This is going to be fucking perfect. And you sit down, and those are the shit episodes. Those are the ones that go worse than any others. And sometimes, the ones that you got nothing banged for, that you think are going to be garbage, sometimes you fucking just spit gold. You know? Now, I don't think that, that I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that we actually accomplished that for this episode. But, um, I mean, I even feel it with working out. Um... Like, one or two days a week, I feel like I just fucking kill it, you know? Like, I feel like on Thursday, this last Thursday, I mean, I, I exercised and I just fucking absolutely crushed it. And, uh, but then, like, Friday night, it was like, I put it off all day, and when I finally got around to it, I worked, instead of working out for, like, 30 to 45 minutes, I worked out for, like, 20 minutes, and I just kind of walked through it. I got a sweat going, and by the end, then it was over, and I was like, you know what? Good enough. Let's not forget that term, good enough. It's called good enough for a reason. It is that. It is good enough. Is it is it's not superlative. It's not great. It's not a home run, but it's good enough. Uh that's an okay place to be sometimes. Oh, excuse me. I mean even now. I peeled off three yawns and I don't when we first started this podcast, I would yawn through like every episode. We haven't done that for a while. Or I haven't done it as much. And here I am. I, I peeled off three in the last like five minutes. So, so I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, cut things off a little bit short. Unless there's other things I can touch on. Um, I mentioned I started reading Brothers Karamazov. I think I've uh, made uh, like three or four pages of progress since the last time I mentioned it. Yeah, that one, it's not grabbing me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm forcing it too much. This could be one of those instances where you know things are seasonal. I mean, even listening to Bartok and Wagner recently, for some reason I'm in this zone where it's like when I have some time, I want to spend it. You know, I watched the the um, Essa Opera's uh, Wagner. Uh, <laughs> tripping on my words now, the SF Opera Wagner Ring Cycle that they reared. And I told myself I was actually going to watch Dust Rheingold just to be a completist about the whole thing. Um, just because I missed that broadcast, but I thought I got to go on YouTube and find a production of Dust Rheingold to watch. I probably already watched like four or five on YouTube uh, in the past, but um, but uh, just to sort of round out my cycle experience, I thought I would do that. Um, but I haven't done that. Maybe I'll do that after this. Maybe, maybe I won't. Um, huh. But things have a cycle, you know, and it was, uh, at the end of last semester and through the winter break, I was fucking killing books, right? And now I'm, maybe it's just not time to read. And when I force myself to do it, it just doesn't, doesn't work out well. I'm sure I'll get to, well, I'll either keep picking my way through Brothers Karamazov or I'll pick it up when I'm supposed to, right? Do you ever have that? Like some people have like, you know, they have a, have a copy of Don Quixote on their bookshelf that they um, have picked up, like, at six times in their life and tried to read it, and um, they can't get past the first 18 pages. And then one day, for what feels like no reason at all, like 10 or 12 years later, they pick it up, and they and it just sort of, 
it, it just sort of grabs them. And there's something in it where they think, man, I am supposed to be reading this right now. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's what Brother Karamazov will be, and a lot of things even. I mean, I have this. I'm looking at it right now. It's on my table over here. But I have this sort of nicely bound hardback copy of Bartok String Quartets. There's a publisher, Boozy and Hawks, and I remember I bought this when I was uh, probably when I I've, I probably had it for 15 years or something like that. And I've listened to the Bartok string quartets at times, but I don't know that I've ever in sequence or in a sort of compressed period of time sort of sat and listened through all of them. And I'm sure at some point when I bought this thing, when I was languishing in a junior college and was first listening to Bartok, I was turned on to the string quartets and I decided like, these are super important pieces of music that I will spend a great amount of time with. And uh, yeah, sure, the, the hardback copy of the string quartets you know, is, um, you know, I think it costs like $40 or something with, you know, especially when you're like in, uh, I mean, really in college, I'm not talking like 35 in college, I'm talking like when you're really in college, um, was just an insane amount of money. But I, it was like, I felt like I had to have it. And then this thing has really just fucking gathered dust on my bookshelf for uh, over a decade. Right. Um, and so I'm not saying that I'm going to like bury my nose in this, uh, in these quartets and like analyze them finally, but for what I, I guess I'm just trying to say, there's a t- there's a season in life for all things, right? Not to get all, is it Ecclesiastes or Corinthians? What's that? <laughs> what is this? Um, actually, maybe it's one of the epistles. Anyway, the point is, is uh, you know, for some reason, I'm listening to Bartok finally. And so, yeah, I'll read Brothers Karamazov when I'm supposed to, I suppose. I think about that in my life in terms of stuff that I've read at other times in my life that I thought I was just supposed to read them. You really don't understand them. But that's okay. I mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with exposure either. Anyway, I'm really trying to not not let myself end the episode because there's a part of me that's... In a way, it's sort of like therapy. I mean, I know we're we're actually at like about the 50-ish minute mark, which is where therapy normally ends. But I even have this with therapy. It's like right when I have about 10 minutes left, sometimes I think I'll, I'll literally, and I'm not supposed to be saying literally, but hey, it actually applies here. But um, I'll think, you know, I don't always do this, but I should just say to my therapist, hey, you know what? Let's just uh, let's just wrap things a little bit short. And I've I, I've done that like once or twice. Um, and it's never the end of the world. It's I can, I can I can do that. But sometimes if you just sit there, Even through the yawn, um, maybe something comes up that wouldn't otherwise.
there is a part of me that thinks like this is sort of a problem with the stream of consciousness format of a podcast. I mean, I have thought as this is episode 81, as we approach 100 episodes, if I continue doing this past 100 episodes, something really will have to change, I think. As as much as I have enjoyed doing this and as much as I, you know, enjoy doing it, you know, I feel like unless something changed, the pod, the changes or something, the, the podcast kind of is what it is and will continue to be. And, you know, unless what I'm doing right now is just totally fucking fun and fulfilling, then if I'm going to keep doing it, I got to find something else to do. And I'm starting to think that maybe having guests on <laughs> or, or maybe, uh, uh, might be the thing that needs to happen because as much as I'm sure you enjoy hearing my voice um, and as, and as great an exercise as the stream of consciousness has been, um, unless I was really willing and had the time to really just sort of prepare and like have a monologue for you of really concise, sharp material, I, I don't think that the podcast is going to grow the way it is. I just, I, you know, maybe I'm just not a skilled enough extemporizer or personality, or there's just not enough interesting stuff going on in my life. I mean, if I lived a crazy life where I was like, I don't know, doing drugs or partying and I could tell stories really well, or I don't fucking know, if there were more glitz and glamour, then maybe uh, there would be something interesting to just sort of showing up and hearing me talk about whatever I talk about. But I feel like my life being what it is right now, there's not, there's not a lot there to sort of spark new interest. So I do think that moving forward after a hundred episodes, I, I, I may have to go back to the guest format and, um, it's going to be harder. That means, uh, finding people to speak to And, and does that mean that the podcast happens every week? I don't know. That seems like it would be a lot, right? But, uh, there is a part that part of me that thinks, as uh, you know, as as decent enough at this as I am, and I'm, I know many of you vehemently disagree with this, or some people who uh, tune into this podcast uh, do not agree with that. But um, maybe there's something about me that uh, I, I think I may have a better skill set of like drawing things out in other people, and so maybe finding interesting people to talk to and engaging with them and uh, kind of taking some of the, the the focus off me, where I can sort of pick and choose my moments to sort of have input, which might be meaningful, but otherwise sort of engage people in a way that sort of, uh, sort of brings out the best in other people also. I think that's a skill that I have had. And, uh, who knows, maybe my work over the last couple of years too has helped, uh, help some of that also. But, uh, even when I was doing my old podcast, Shut Up Songwriters, I mean, that was something that I took to very naturally was just kind of being an interviewer. So, and I also think, uh, I mean, if I can say it, I think I, when I am interviewed, I think I tend to do pretty well also, but, um, you know, I don't know. I think when I started this, there was certainly a lot of excitement and, uh, I think I've gotten better at this in some ways, but, um, if I'm being honest, I I don't know if, I don't know if I feel like I progressed as a sort of stream of consciousness speaker as much as I sort of thought I would at the end of 100 episodes. So, you know, I don't know. There's also a part of me that thinks, when you really think about it, you know, doing this for, you know, by the time we reach a hundred episodes, it will be about two years. 
And when you think about it, that's not a lot of time, you know, especially when you've, you know, really the amount of time I spend on this is what you hear. So you spend an hour a week on something. And of course, more time goes into the publishing or the getting the videos up on YouTube or whatever it is. But the skill of speaking, it's something that I only do, you know, an hour a week in this context. So have I really given it enough time? Maybe you have to give yourself 200 episodes to do this in a way that you think is really going to be meaningful. So I don't know. I guess as I look at other things in my life as someone who's like changed their artist name a couple of times, there's a part of me when I really get some distance, I think, man, if I had just stuck with that, who knows what the impact of it would have been. So as I'm approaching this threshold, I think, you know, you're not quite where you wanted to be. So is it time to be self-aware and retool and realize something's not working and do something different? Or is it just, or does it just mean be more patient? At the end of the day, it's probably both. Maybe being more patient, maybe also using some of that um, criticism productively, constructively, and uh, trying to make some changes. But maybe you also have to trust the process, too. What do you think? I don't know. There's people I'd like to have on the show. I'd like to have my brother on here. I'd like to have our MVP Matt on here. I'd like to have other people in my life on here. You know, I mentioned our prospective MVP Davis, who's someone I've known for a long time, who uh, has was, has been listening to the podcast. And uh, there's a constellation of other people I hear from too, who listen to the podcast regularly and send me shout outs. And that always means a lot. So maybe getting some of those people on here. Um, and maybe just hearing about what they, what, what they think about it would be interesting content. Who knows? Um, but maybe you have some ideas also. I, uh, I'd be open to hearing those. Uh, all right, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up here. Shall we folks? Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you can on Apple podcasts and Spotify, uh, take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also video podcast. You can see my tired ass on the video podcast, uh, on YouTube. You can find those videos uh, at our website, thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. You can find the latest episode, watch the video there, or click through and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And, um, yeah, time for me to unwind. Uh, Maybe watch some more YouTube or listen to some bar talk or maybe even play some video games. I don't know. I'm trying to squeeze the last of my spring break out that I can. Uh, I don't know that I've really let myself, like, really enjoy myself over the spring break. So in the last couple hours of it, maybe I should try to do something I'll enjoy. Uh, In the meantime, thank you for listening. We will check in with you next week. Until then, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And ciao for now.